James Harden's going to sign their extension. His trade value is not there. And when you hear reports... Wilson paid $16 million of his $33 million salary. I know about people that have certain clauses what in their contract. What happens next year with Giannis Antetokounmpo? He will be eligible for a Supermax next summer. If he re-signs a new reality, the players are going to move around and the players are, are, are not going to want to spend their whole you know, life. And because they didn't want to go into the penalty of the luxury tax, they traded James Harden. Somebody's going to be making $50 Find a home. So, he probably could have made a little bit more money this summer in free agency. I think agency. he could have got a lot more in the offseason. Wow. You got a chance to secure the bag. You got to No question. What's going on, party people? I'm your host, Stephen Bagel, and this is Sports Ethos' very own The Bird Rights Podcast. I apologize. As you guys know, the trade deadline's a very busy time of year for me. Corbin and I kind of, you know, did our mock trade deadline series, that five-part episode. And then I left you hanging for a couple weeks because your boy had to go on vacation. But nonetheless, I am back with none other than Corbin Ford. You could find Corbin with the new Charlotte Hornets coverage at Sports Ethos. You could find him on Squish Theory. And he has some things in the work that you guys need to be on the lookout for. So, Corbin, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Stephen. As always, happy to talk hoops with you. You already know how it is here. Excited. Um, and yeah, like you said, you you deserved a vacation. You had done some real yield man's work um, for about two months before the actual trade deadline. So I think it was well-deserved. The timing, I get it, but you know, well-deserved nonetheless. Yeah, unfortunately, for those of you who are wondering why I couldn't be on Sports Ethos' um, YouTube live stream for the trade deadline, that's why I was actually in LA, so I was unable to... You know, do both. I actually did the Hollywood sign hike during the trade deadline. So I lost phone service partially during it because I was up like on high altitudes. So that was that's fun. a special kind of torture. Yeah. What, are you, what are you gonna do? So yeah, this episode will basically going to be going over every team's trade deadline. Not too much in depth, but we're at least gonna touch on every team. I did write an article for Sports Ethos. It should hopefully be released by the time this episode is out on sportsethos.com where I grade every team's deadline. So, Corbin, I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you to grade them, but I will talk about my grades and why I did that. And then, you know, we could just discuss each one if that works for you. Works for me. So, okay. Without further ado, let's talk about each team rather than each trade. I think that'd be better because there's a lot of teams that surprisingly didn't make a move that should have and vice versa. So I'm just going to start alphabetically to start with the Atlanta Hawks. Their main move was basically trading, what was it, three <clears throat> second on picks with Sadiq Bay and then two additional seconds to get under the tax and salary dumping Justin Holiday, Frank Kaminsky. Essentially, they gave a five seconds for Sadiq Bay to aim to stay <laughs> under the tax. I gave that a B minus, and Corbin, before I get your thoughts on it, Atlanta was interesting because I thought going to the deadline, Sadiq Bay was going to get a pretty solid first-round pick. But as we've seen this deadline where I think Jake Fisher of Yahoo said, I think it was 51 second-round picks were moved at this deadline. Mm. I th- what I put in my article for Sports Ethos, I think the biggest issue was that all these contenders that wanted to make moves, they didn't have any first steps to give because of all, like, the Clippers traded everything for Paul George. Atlanta traded all the first for DeJounte Murray. Minnesota for Gobert. Six was for Harden. Denver didn't have any picks left. Milwaukee doesn't have any. Every single contender, Cleveland, another one for Donovan Mitchell. 
all these contenders did not have any first to give because of the Stapian rule and they tra- already traded all the possible first. So I think that's really what drove the market down this year. I, I, I would agree with that. I think that was a big reason. Like you said, I mean, it started, we were talking about the stepping rule from the Lakers, right? All season, 27, 2029, first round pick. But a lot of teams were in similar situations. We saw these massive blockbuster deals between the Hawks, like you mentioned, between the Timberwolves, you know, the Jets. So the few teams were were tapped, you know? And if you go back even further, the Nets were coming up into that type of thing. The Rockets, the same type of deal. So yeah, second rounders were both gold and candy in this one, right? Um, so it definitely made a lot of sense. And you did see players' value measured in the amount of second round picks than they were to that of another player or that of a first rounder. And so teams spent most of this time going into the deadline, deadline posturing about, oh, this guy's worth two first rounders, when really their equivalency was more like five second rounders, such as, like you mentioned, with Sadiq Bey. So Sadiq Bey, I actually like him as a player. The issue with him is if he's not making shots, he's a pretty brutal player that, you know, is going to soak up. Because, like, he was supposed to be, like, the 3 and D more type guy, but the D hasn't really come along. And since Sadiq Bey is having such an issue shooting the ball, Detroit found him expendable. So mm-hmm. I think that's good business for Land. I know they did give up five second round picks in order to basically acquire him, but I do think it's good John Collins assurance. Obviously, John Collins is still an Atlanta Hawk. I don't know how much longer that's going to come about. He was initially going to be moved to Phoenix before they pulled the trigger for Kevin Durant, so they did get close. But, you know, with A.J. Griffin, with A.J. Griffin and with DeAndre Hunter there, and now Sadiq Bey, John Collins is definitely a lot more expendable. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that he's someone that, I don't know. At the one hand, I feel like he's expendable, but really, let's be real. Like, he's been available the last couple of seasons, right? I think we did our primer. I about to say, exactly. We did our primer going into this, and we were almost certain that he was going to be moved. And yet, here he is. So I think you're right. These additional moves have maybe more or less cleared it up to the point that we are making almost a definite that he's moved maybe this offseason. But then again, like I said, he's been most likely to be traded three years in a row now. So forgive me if I'm not fully swayed, even if all roster construction activity points to that. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that sentiment. So Atlanta, I gave a B minus. And I also gave a B minus to the next team, the Boston Celtics. Boston basically traded two second round picks for Mike Muscala, who Mike Muscala, former 76er, I am forever indebted to him because the Sixers had a cool, but I don't know if you know this because it's a thing among Sixers fans that we love Mike Muscala, but I'm not sure if people outside of the Sixers community are aware of this. He's the reason we have Tyrese Maxey. We had that Thunder pick top 20 protected Mm. and he hit a buzzer beater to win the game in a meaningless game. The last game of the year when they were already locked in as a five seed to play Houston, the game meant nothing. If he missed the shot, they get the pick. If he made the shot, Sixers got it. So everyone knew, okay, he's going to miss the shot because, okay, he's going to tell him to miss the shot because the game's meaningless. There's no point for him to make it. Mike Muscala hit that shot. Sixers got the 21st pick in the draft and got Tyrese Maxey. So for that reason, even though he's a Boston Celtic now, Mike Muscala always has a special place in Sixers fans' hearts. The NBA, where amazing happens. Exactly. Thank you, Mike Muscala. <laughs> so anyway, Mike Muscala, again, same thing, two second-round picks. It's not bad business by Boston, but I am surprised that Boston has Danilo Gallinari's dead money 
on the books, given that he's out for the season. And they didn't either find a way to move him to reduce the luxury tax bill or use that salary to actually get a contributor. Mm. That's the one flaw I had with the deadline. Because, like, you have the best record in the NBA. You're clearly a contender. You couldn't make any other bigger move. And, again, they didn't have to. Like, again, it's an embarrassment of riches for Boston. Mm-hmm. But I would have liked to see them get off that Gallinari contract. Not because Gallinari, I think, has a player option next year. So it wouldn't shock me if he opts in and then he's a Celtic next year. But they could have traded him. He could have opted out of the player option and then just re-signed there for a larger amount because the tax by Emily will be even more next year. Mm-hmm. But They so had yeah, some options, but... With Boston. I get it. I mean, it's a case of the rich getting richer, right? That's basically what it is. I mean, Mike Muscala is not a, a massive upgrade, but he does help kind of fortify that front core position. It's a good big for them. Fourth exactly. Exactly. And they didn't really have any demonstrative weaknesses. Like you said, there's some things within the margins that could have worked around for sure, you know, to try to strengthen up or um, kind of shore up some ends. But as it as a whole, I mean, they're the best team in the NBA, arguably, right? Easily the best team in the East as of right now. And you got a fourth big... I wouldn't say easily, but... Okay. Oh, okay. Who would you have? Okay, and they're nice, but Boston's been consistent throughout. I I still have questions about the long-term health of the Bucks. Um, not so enamored with their bench. I mean, I guess I get what you're saying, and you're right. Giannis is running on the form, but I just feel like Boston has set like I'm not going to fold for recency bias on the Bucks. Boston's been consistent all year. Yeah, and they've been playing well. But I will agree with that. Boston is the deepest team in the end. Eight-man rotation in the playoffs, Boston has the best one through eight. There you go. Okay. And there it is. Yeah, I'm with you. So I think that's what I'm going with. And now, you know, if the Bucs continue to play and and, and prove, okay, let's give the eye on them, then I'm I'm with it. But Boston's, for the most part, with a few hiccups here and there, have been a superior team all season. I'm just going to go with what I've seen so far. But, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's Those two are clearly on a tier above themselves. I have to agree on that. And then Philadelphia is somewhere in the next vicinity. Yeah, unfortunately for me, but okay. <laughs> Next team, we might actually have to take a few extra minutes to talk about because obviously mm-hmm. that's the Brooklyn Nets. I actually gave them a B, and it was very tough to give a team that traded away Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving at the deadline a B because, you know, they're blowing up a potential title contender. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, five unprotected first. And a whole slew of seconds and a 2028 pick swap. I mean, that's as big of a haul as you can get, just about. Given, especially the circumstances surrounding Kyrie Irving, they did pretty well with him. And Kevin Durant, while they didn't get DeAndre Aiden, that was my one flaw I had with it. But Corbin, you and I have talked about it a million times. Wing depth is the most important thing in the NBA. I'm mm-hmm. not going to lose all this much sleep that they didn't acquire the center. I mean, DeAndre Eden did have a one-year no-trade clause because they matched the restricted rights, so maybe he don't want to go to Brooklyn. Maybe that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. But, exactly. I agree. But Mikhail Bridges, I do think, could be a low-end number two on a contender and a really good number three on a championship team. But my biggest issue with Brooklyn now is, yes, they have a bunch of guys who could play defense, a bunch of really good wings who could defend, like Mikhail Bridges, Dwayne Finney-Smith. If you could get Ben Simmons back to form, Royce O'Neal, and then you have Cam Johnson, you got some restricted free agency. You have Nick Claxton. Like, the defense is great. Now the issue is, are they going to be able to package some of these assets they got to get a Zach Levine or get a Bradley Beal or get a DeMar DeRozan to complement these defensive-minded guys? We saw Mikhail Bridges the last game before the All-Star break drop 45. To, to get a real offensive-minded guy 
to make Bridges the number two, and then maybe Cam Johnson, Dinwiddie, maybe next man up mentality for that number three role every night. But as crazy as it sounds, yes, I'm not saying the Nets were better positioned before from when they had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. But given the status of Kyrie Irving's free agency, given how disastrous it was by getting Ben Simmons, they now have two of the best contracts in the NBA, Mikkel Bridges and Nick Claxton, and they have all these unprotected picks. Luka could leave Dallas, I think, in 27, and they're the 29th first. By the time those Phoenix picks in 27 and 29, Kevin Durant will be 38, Chris Paul will be retired. You have no idea what's going to happen with those picks. You yeah. got Mikkel Bridges, you got Cam Johnson, you got Dwayne Finney-Smith. You got some real legitimate players. Mm-hmm. But I'm not saying they're better off, but I think they did an excellent job given the circumstances and the hands they were dealt. I think you said it perfectly because you're right. You're not going to, I mean, you'd be either a diehard Nets fan um, or just delusional to believe that a team that had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving going to a team that's built around Mikael Bridges is better, right? Like that's just not what it is. But considering the nuance that often goes in these situations, considering what the Nets situation looked like future with Kyrie and KD and how uncertain that was and where they look now where, hey, we are positioned right now for, you know, being able to compete right now. Um, and also stand to benefit from several teams' futures moving forward in, in a situation where, yeah, the Suns are built for now, but they're not built for three years from now. We haven't seen their front office kind of really take over a post-CP3 era. This James Jones regime really took over around Devin Booker, Chris Paul, once they started making those moves. So we haven't seen their transition. And based off the way they've been drafting, I wouldn't be super excited about it, right? Um you look at, like you said, Dallas. I mean, the Mavericks don't even have a guarantee of keeping Kyrie. No, like that's not that's not set in stone. Exactly, that's not set in stone. So that could be a gamble that could really have weakened you. Setting out your best perimeter defender um, and picks out for a rental, a la 2015 Rajon Rondo. Rajon Rondo, hopefully without you know the drama that came with that, but it is Kyrie. Um, yeah. With that being said, you know if you're the Nets right now, yeah, you you're in a pretty good spot. If you look at all the three and D wings right now that are in the league, right. That are not like your stars. Exactly. I'm about to say, if they're, yep, you said it. If they're not stars or locked in long term, they're in Brooklyn. So not only can you compete right now, but come the offseason, hey, we're available. Exactly. That Zach Levine type guy. Yep. Come the trade. I wouldn't even do it for Zach Levine, to be honest. I'm not high on him, but I get what you mean, that type of player. You know, I just don't know the next guy who will be available to do something. No, you're right. No, honestly, listen, you are the front office. Maybe insider. Bradley Beal. I, I, maybe Bradley Beal. Maybe Bradley. I hope it will be Bradley. Us, but He does. I hope it will be Bradley. You know, big market. Maybe that appeals to him. I, I mean, listen, between Bradley and Zach Levine, I, and I'm just going to run this by you as my own theory, I don't know if I like either of those guys as a number one option, just in general. You know what I mean? Like, I think we've seen no, – I agree. At, Exactly. So like for Brooklyn, you have to look and see, okay, is that the package you want to give up? I'd be more in line with like, let's say, uh, and this isn't available right now, but let's say Jalen Brown. Of course, but you know, something like that. And that, and again, how unlikely is that true? But I'd rather do that than give away a ton of assets in a trade for a player who I would argue is better at scoring than them. What about but a I would take, What about a Trey Young mm, with all those defensive minded guys? Now, I'd like that. Plus, he's young enough that you can kind of build him as your face of the future, except he's a coach killer, so I'd be worried about that. Sorry, Coach Nate McMillan. Um, I think Jacques Vaughn would be able to handle Trey. Trey, He's handled Ben Simmons okay, I guess, but Ben Simmons 
isn't in the right headspace. So I'm sure he's just keeping a low profile right now. But that could be it too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Jack Vaughn it definitely seems like a leader in the in the in the clubhouse, um, or in the clubhouse in the locker room with these players. And so maybe he could reach a Trey Young at this. And also, I think if you do trade Trey Young, it goes from a spot where hey, this was my, you know. John Wall said this in an interview a while ago. He, um, Washington was his city. He could make the rules, right? Once you've been traded, you're in a situation where, okay, I'm I'm still a big guy, but this ain't me anymore. You know, I have them to fit in. York, you're in a big market. And- exactly. So, no, I'm with you. To kind of sum it up, I think Brooklyn is in a better position. I think they're going to be one of those fun, tough playoff outs that we see every couple of years. You know, like the 2013 Nuggets or, you know, you look at the 2015 Hawks or a team that doesn't have one central, like, really good standout player, just a nucleus of really competent basketball players that can make for some decent basketball in a tough, fun, entertaining series. Well, here's the biggest issue I had with the Nets doing what they did. Again, I'm on board with it, mm-hmm. but Houston owns what? They're 24 and 26 first, and they have a swap in 25. So if you're mm-hmm. the Nets, you're banking on the Rockets still not being great in 25 because at least then you get one bite at the apple because you don't have your own first, but at least you have the swap. So if the Nets have the third worst record in the league and the Rockets have the fifth and that's where the end of the lottery, at least you get the fifth pick in the draft because you swap with Houston. You know? I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's a nut- if James Harden goes back to the Rockets and the Rockets win the lottery and get Wemby or Scoots, it's a nightmare scenario where the Nets – Sure, they have all these teams, other teams' picks, but they're kind of in purgatory where they don't get their own first the next three years. But they do have two first-round picks this year. So let's see if Mm. they could package those up and try to move up a little bit. We'll see. But that's the one kind of doomsday scenario for the Nets. And hopefully by 2025, the Rockets aren't as bad, but they're going to be on the third straight year of having the worst record in the NBA. That's true. that's, That's a factor. So we'll see how that goes, but I'm with you. Okay, the next team I have here is the Charlotte Hornets. I gave them a B. They traded Mason Plumlee and Jalen McDaniels, basically got Reggie Jackson, who they bought out, and a few second-round picks, but the key to this deal was they got their own 2023 first back that the Sixers owned. It's the most favorable of them, the Hawks, and the Nets picks, and obviously the Hornets are by far the worst three, worst out mm-hmm. of those three teams. So they basically get an early second-round pick and, you know, two other second round picks for Mason Plumlee, Jalen McDaniels. Plumlee trading him opens up minutes for Mark Williams, which is what they wanted to do. But Jalen McDaniels is the player. But the biggest issue is the fact that you have Miles Bridges for agency still looming, and they apparently want to bring him back this year. And you have P.J. Washington's for agency looming because they didn't get rid of him. Are you really going to be able to pay McDaniels too? Probably not. They flipped him to get a high second round pick. I give them a B. I mean, that's pretty much all there is to it. Yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot to go into it. You're the Sixers expert, so you've pretty much covered the bases there. I think, you know, um, well, the Sixers expert in terms of Jaden McDaniel, so you'll be able to cover him. Um, Jalen McDaniel, excuse me. You'll be able to cover him better when we get to the Philadelphia section. But as far as what the Hornets did, listen, Mason Plumlee had a career year, right? 32. Had to get something for him, right? So I, I get the sense of making a move. Um, I thought it was kind of a joke to think you were going to get a first rounder for him. You got draft compensation. That's good. I think you had a situation where if you're Charlotte, you do have that Miles Bridges situation floating over your head, but you also have the restricted free agency of both PJ Washington and Jalen McDaniel. You basically decide between the two of them, or if you're going to keep both of them or let them both go. And I think we've seen what Charlotte did in letting go of McDaniel, 
who, while nice, I think we've seen, and I think you'll talk about his impact in Philadelphia. I don't think it's like, oh my gosh, what a game changer. He's just a nice, solid player. Where P.J. Washington, I think, is better equipped to play the four, play small ball five, give you some of what Miles does, nowhere near as aggressive in that way, but kind of be a better fit for the Hornets. So I think it was really just a matter of kind of cleaning up your books a little bit, making some of your decisions in the offseason easier, and getting some draft compensation back while you did it. Yeah, and that team is low-key going to get sneaky expensive when they sign the Melo Bartles rookie extension that kicks in, not next year, but the following. If you mm-hmm. bring that P.J. Washington at 15-ish mil a year, Miles Bridges, God knows what he's going to get, but let's say he gets mm-hmm. 15, 20 million a year. And then you have Terry Ruggiero, Gordon Hayward, where Gordon Hayward will be coming off the books after the first year of Lamelo's rookie extension. But that team's going to get sneaky expensive. And they, I guess that was... You know, the front office projecting, okay, we're not going to be able to afford to pay Jalen McDaniel seven, eight million dollars a year. So, yeah, more than likely, it's probably what the, the idea or thinking was. But it's it's something to show again. This is you got a very conservative front office in Charlotte, right? Mitch Kupchak, you know, I doubt he's waking up from his naps come a trade deadline, right? So, this is something to kind of make your job a little easier come the offseason, but nothing demonstrative. And like you said, you do have to kind of look out for a small market to kind of make some big money decisions moving forward that isn't anywhere near a contending team. Okay, the next team I have is the Chicago Bulls. They stood pat. They did nothing. I gave them a D plus. I mean, how do you not? How do you not at least trade Nikola Vucevic's expiring deal? I mean, I, I don't know. I get not wanting to trade Levine and DeRozan. Maybe you want to reevaluate next year if Lonzo Ball is healthy. Let's pray Lonzo Ball is healthy next year because he's a hell of a player. You hate to see, you know, a guy like him miss maybe a potential career now, mm-hmm. but. I mean, I wrote about it. And I talked about it on the Ethos Bulls pod with Trey and Keith. Alex Caruso, you probably, you probably could have got two first-round picks for. Maybe not in this market where so many second-rounders went. But we saw a couple years ago, Robert Covington, when he was traded to the Houston Rockets, or the Rockets to the Trailblazers, they gave up two legitimate first-round picks for him. I think Caruso, making us the mid-level exception money, could have done something similar. And I just talked about Zach Levine, you know, being a target for the Nets potentially. I would love it if the Nets were able to get Zach Levine and Alex Caruso together. Caruso get them another versatile defender for Brooklyn this summer. Yeah. I think that in this case right now, I mean, uh, you just to grade them initially, I'm going to say a D as well. Honestly, what are you going to ask? And they did not. Yeah, do something. This was not working. And, and we saw coming out of the All-Star break, it's still not working, right? Um, they got Pat Beverly. Congratulations for them. Um, there's a little lot to say about that. Like, you're in a situation right now where, yeah, you had to make something happen. You're a team right now that, you know, has three guys who you could have gotten something back, you know? Um, Vooch going into the offseason unrestricted free agent. Are you bringing him back? A little walk for nothing. Zach Levine, who you've had a very interesting, um, contentious at times relationship. DeMar DeRozan, who's still playing all-star level basketball, about to be 34. Like, you're in a situation where, you know, you could have cashed out or or, or at least sort of done that or said, let's go the opposite way. Let's try to add some more pieces to better make this team equipped to be at least a tough first round out because right now they're not even that. Um, instead, they sat pat like, oh, we got this. We just wait for our guys to get healthy. I'm sorry. You're not the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this isn't, this isn't, we've seen a little bit of what y'all are on the floor, and it hasn't been great. Also, today, the news as we were recording um, a couple hours ago that, as we already know, but Lonzo Ball shut down for the year. So, this is just the, the trade, it was the trade deadline from HEW Hockey Sticks for Chicago. And I don't know how they set themselves up for anything better than just middling, diminishing return. 
Yeah, and we're going to have to, you know, maybe reevaluate this offseason because if they just decide to run it back, re-sign Nikola Vucevic to probably at this point a team-friendly deal this season, I don't know what they're going to do, but uh, it's rough for Chicago. Meanwhile, Cleveland didn't do anything either. I gave them a C plus. I wasn't sold on them as it was for Chicago because once Chicago had to blow it up, Cleveland's obviously going a different direction. But Cleveland didn't really have the assets to be buyers because of the Donovan Mitchell deal. Donovan Mitchell deal. Now, I would have loved if they got a Sadiq Bay. I would have loved if they got it in our trade deadline. We had Evan Long and he traded for Josh Hart. I would have loved that for Cleveland. But I mean, Cleveland ended up getting a first round pick for Josh Hart. Cleveland didn't have that to offer. And maybe they didn't value Sadiq Bay at five second round picks. So I, I gave, again, I gave them a C. Plus. They did get Danny Green in bio market to help with the wing help, but they desperately needed a wing. They didn't really have the matching salaries to get it done. They bought out Kevin Love, so it is what it is. I'm not going to fault them. I'm not going to knock them. I'm not going to give them an excellent. I gave them a C plus. I, I, I see. I, a C plus for you is good. I think actually no. I'm gonna give what you give. I'm gonna give a C plus because at the end of the day, they're better than Chicago, right? Um, we saw what they need to do, and I think we talked about this in our series of ch- uh, podcasts we did concerning the mock trade deadline, which is okay. They have a clear need, but they have a lot of assets with which to get that done. You know, so what can you do? I think they made some moves around the margins. Um, could you say they were like demonstrative, you know, improvements? No, not really. But then again, they didn't have to do a whole lot. They're still gonna be a very good team, and they didn't have a whole lot of cards to use. So I can't punish them for the situation they were already in, right? Um, they didn't sit, just sit pat and do nothing. They weren't Chicago, and they had a better chance of making that excuse than Chicago did. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have said, hey, we like Harris at the three. It's not a perfect fit, but he's fine. He fits what we're trying to do. You know, Isaac Okoro decided to pick it up before the trade deadline started, knocking down some threes, so that's great. You know, Lamar Stevens can still be used as a defensive alternative. Like, they could have really made a story as to why they didn't make a single move, but they tried something, and I'll give them points for that. Um, at the same time, like we said, wasn't a whole lot they could have done, and they didn't do a whole lot. So C, C plus feels about right. Dallas Mavericks. I know we talked about them a little bit with the Brooklyn Nets, but they basically got Kyrie Irving and Markeith Morris, traded Spencer Dinwiddie, Dwayne Finney-Smith, 2029 first, 2027, and 2029 seconds. I actually gave them a B. So, yes, while I agree with the sentiment that you said, Corbin, that it's probably likely that Kyrie Irving walks this summer. They At least they did a few things. One, they signaled to Luka Doncic, we are willing to do what it takes to get a star to play alongside you. Mm. They also, in this scenario, Kyrie Irving walks, could have up to about $25 million in cap space this summer. So yes, they lost Finney Smith. They lost Dinwiddie. That's probably your second and third best players. So if Irving walks, you really have nothing. Before they did the Kyrie trade, would you agree that if Luka wasn't on the Mavs, they would probably have the worst team in the NBA? Yeah. Worst roster? They would have Christian Wood and Kyrie walk, or not walk, but if you want to have the cap space, you wouldn't resign either of them. And they already lost Finney Smith and Dinwiddie. So that's like your three best players pre-Kyrie trade, other than Luka mm-hmm. that are now gone. So yes, they open up 25 million in cap space, but like I don't really know if you'll be able to replace any of those guys if you don't bring them back. So, so yes, I suppose it's good in cast space is all theoretical. As we see, sometimes Dallas oftentimes goes in with a bunch of cast space and then does nothing with it. (laughs) 
So we'll have to see. I mean, it could become a disaster. It could not be. It's just this is one of those grades we're going to have to reevaluate after the offseason. Yeah. And I think there's a few, you know, that we talked about that. It's like, okay, let's look back and see. But they're the quintessential team. Absolutely. And, I mean, they said before the Kyrie trade, we're dangling Dorian Finney-Smith in hopes of getting another star. I mean, they did that. While even though it's Kyrie Irving who might walk and only play 30 games there, that's what they did. Um, yeah, and, 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 yeah defense, it showed. The defense is awful, but the offense is fine. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Sacramento Kings, uh, except less elite offense. Maybe, no, not less elite offense. I just think I love their premier top two talent better than Sacramento's, but also their defense is more worse. And they each, like, willingly sacrificed defense for offense where Sacramento, you know, you have a co- coach in Mike Brown who wants the defense. The personnel just doesn't fit. Dallas said, we're willing to morph our team to be more offensive centric by making that trade for Kyrie. So yeah, I'm with you there. It's one of those things we'll see in the off season. If he's resigned, okay, maybe that's sort of a win. Even then with Kyrie, it's always interesting, but I would consider that more of a victory than I would now. If it's a rental, I would give it a C minus. I think it raises their ceiling for this season in a relatively wide open West. And this is before Kevin Durant got traded there. So we definitely like, okay, that's nice, you know? Um, But if it's not a long-term relationship between the two, then it does feel a little more costly. If you combine that Nets and that Mavs roster, could you imagine how good they would be? We're looking at perennial championship teams right now. You are. The top tier. Kyrie's Mm -hmm. your second option. Ridges is your third option. Then you have Dinwiddie, Finney Smith, Royce O'Neal. Nick Claxton, Christian, what that's Ben Simmons again, uh, but you know what I but mean. Still, mm-hmm, you're pretty sad. No. So you'd have the perfect complement in off- offense and defense. But the next team, Denver Nuggets, basically swapped out Bones Highland and Devon Reed for Thomas Bryant. They desperately needed the backup center. They got it, but it came at the expense of Bones Highland, who clearly it seems like, again, I don't want to misspeak. I'm not in Denver media at all. But it seems like Bones Highland and Mike Malone either clashed or he didn't get along with the staff or Jamal Murray or whatever it may be. It just seems like Bones Highland was not working in Denver. But they just traded Monte Morris to give Bones Highland the keys to the second unit. And now a few months later, they don't even recoup any second on picks for him. They flipped him for two seconds, but then used those picks to get Thomas Bryant. So that's basically what they did. They got off a guy who had... Two more years on his rookie deal after this year. That's supposed to be a six-man-of-the-year contender. And instead, you got a backup center for 20 games to, you know, be behind Nikola Jokic. Sure, if they win a championship, I suppose it works out. But if they win a championship, I don't think it's because they went from Thomas Bryant to Zeke Naji. Or vice versa, Zeke Naji. No, no, I was right. Thomas Bryant to Zeke Naji is a backup center. Yeah, I agree. I think it was kind of confusing. I think there was definitely some interpersonal issues behind the scenes that caused that trade to happen. And because you're right. They couldn't get more than, I mean, Sadiq Bey, I think, is an inferior player to Bones Island. He went for, what, five seconds? And Gabe Bain in the second, who's 30 years old, went for five seconds. How's Bones Island only going for two? Everything, I think it's it has the to position be the they play. In the NBA yeah, is- I think it's that. There might be some intel that we're not aware of. But also, if you look at it this way, Sadiq Bey is, at least in theory, a 3 and D prospect who had a horrible year shooting to three this season, but really had some nice threads last year, shot the ball well, and plays the wing position. Gary Payton the second. We know what he can do wreaking havoc across two, three positions in the backcourt into the small forward position. We saw what he did with the Golden State Warriors and how he took John Morant out of the series when he was assigned to play him against um, 
the Grizzlies in that series. So like you had a playoff battle, a playoff tested vet who brings real value in the defensive end and an intriguing talent at a position of need who has the upside of three and D. And then you have Bones Highland, who I like, but isn't quite a point guard, more of an undersized shooting guard. You may have worries about his frame. He's definitely not very good on defense. He just has going for him the fact that he can get hot in a hurry and that, you know, he's like a guard. So Lou basically, Will Lou made Williams. an 18-year career out of that. And, and, and Lou Will totally did, but I don't know if Lou Will was involved in some blockbuster trades where he was involved. He was, from what I remember, usually a part of a trade, but he wasn't like, oh, we, we are giving some major assets. Did Lou Will go for like a first-round pick or something before? Lou Will, I think once. Let me think. He was in that Chris Paul deal when he went to the Clippers. Yeah, he was always included in things, but I don't think he was ever like, like okay, if I put Lou on the market, I'm getting – when the Lakers traded him, like I don't think he was for a first round. I'm just going to have to like comparative value in return. I have to look at this offhand, but I don't think he was part of like a package on his own. He was always like included. Like, yeah, we like that guy. You know what I mean? And, and credit to him for carving out a nice career for himself. But again, he was a, a, an ancillary piece. Just a very good ancillary piece. It's just and with the hope Bones gets there. <laughs> Denver just pushed all their eggs in the Bones basket, and this was them, you know, taking a step back and saying, "This might have been a mistake," essentially, and then cutting Basically. the losses. I feel like, and honestly, mm-hmm. them getting Reggie Jackson bio market, they had to have known they were getting Reggie Jackson when they were negotiating Bones to the Clippers and. The Clippers probably said, oh, well, we're trading Reggie Jackson and the Hornets are going to buy him out anyway, and he'd want to come to you guys. I'm sure the Clippers helped facilitate that. Because I, who would you have had? Ish Smith as the only backup point guard on the roster had you not gotten Reggie Jackson? Yeah. So, and you're right, and it wouldn't have worked. And I like um, Reggie on that. I think Reggie's an upgrade for what Denver's trying to do over Bones Highland. I just think he is. I think he's, gonna, he's a guy who can knock down threes, you know? Um knows his role, you know, at this stage of his career, isn't going to make any waves, can play off ball, timely cuts, you know, defensively fit into whatever Denver's trying to do. He's not going to be like a standout guy, but I like him better as a fit for right now than I do Bones Highland right now. Now in the future, you're right. I could definitely see it. But again, the hope is that Bones Highland reaches a Lou Williams level. We, we don't actually know if that's what we're going to get, right? Like if he's Lou Will Light, then okay, join the club with a bunch of other guys who, you know, just come off the bench and can only score, but can't do it quite as well. You know, like Lou Will, you could not build some offenses around him, but run the second Lou unit Will was him. the microwave scorer. Exactly. And I'm not – I don't know what Bones Highland is at right now. Bones Highland can be. Bones Highland's had moments, but he's not that. Not yet. So, I don't know. If you're Denver, yeah, I, I definitely wish you could have got more of a return probably. But also, you have a chance, or at least you had more of a chance before Kevin Durant came to Phoenix and all that, to really kind of take charge in a relatively wide open West. You're already sitting pretty at number one. Let's get a better fit right now. Where about the future later? Not exactly the best choice of action long term, I imagine. But for right now, you win the championship. Listen, Lakers have had some horrible mismanagement. But 2020 happened. And they won a championship, right? At the end of the day, as bad as it was, they got a ring out of it. And that, that does have some value. I mean, bubble championship and all, it's still a championship. Let's talk about James Wiseman for a little bit. Because the next two teams we have up here are Detroit and Golden State. Detroit, I gave this a D minus. I mean, I I'm probably a little biased because as a draft guy as well, I've never been a big James Wiseman guy. But the fact that you have Jalen Dorn, you have Isaiah Stewart, I know the Pistons are claiming they had James Wiseman number one on their board in the 2020 draft. 
but I wouldn't give up Sadiq Bay for him, especially we talk about how hot of commodities wings are. I'm not giving up a wing for a big that looks like he's not developing, who I never really, again, I didn't like him, but clearly they did. So I don't know. I thought this was mismanagement by the Pistons, but again, they, they took a fly on Marvin Bagley last year, then paid him $39 million this year, and now they're doing the same with James Wiseman, and they're probably going to pick up his rookie deal the following year, which is like $12 million. So now they're paying two number two, former number two overall pick big men who are both not your best big man in on your team because you have Isaiah Stewart and Jalen Duran. Mm-hmm. But you're tied to both of them, at least. Bagley, you're tied to, but I'm not going to put that into my um, evaluation for the deadline. No, I'm with you. I think that was definitely interesting. Um, and by interesting, I don't know if I liked it. Um, like Wiseman, like taking a flyer on him, but you already have a guy in Jalen Duran who is younger, and I think it's shown more so far. So not if really sure how that works. Wiseman, mm-hmm. that's fine, but they're saying they're going to be starting Wiseman. Yeah, so they're again. They're starting Doran's growth. Exactly. And I get he's younger and all that jazz, and that's great. But again, that's exactly what you're doing. And that's just the bare bones about it. And I'm not sure why. I get a front office being enamored with the guy. Apparently, um, the front office, Detroit front office, had um, James Wiseman number one on their board. Well, that's great. But guess what? There's this thing called redrafting. You know what I mean? And that means reassessing. But apparently, they were sold on this talent. They really think that he is a game changer for them. Um, I strongly disagree, especially over Jalen Duran, who I'm very fond of. Like I said, younger, plays the same position. Also, like, unless you are deciding here and now that Jalen Duran's going to be your backup center moving forward, because eventually you are going to pay James Wiseman if that's what you're committing to, right? You can't play them together. Not, not, they're both centers. Like, they don't have the requisite between the two of them to play the four. Neither of them probably a good match at the four defensively either. Like, it's not a good fit there. So, yeah, I don't understand what they're doing. Um, and at the same time, listen, Duran is the future. It doesn't mean Duran's right now. I thought so. I definitely thought so. But I could see, you know, if they decide not to and worry about that next season, the season after. I just think it was a very short-sighted decision. Yeah, I agree. But meanwhile, Golden State, it was initially reported that they're getting Sadiq Bay, And I was like, ooh. And it was actually reported they were, in, they were close to acquiring OG Ananobi. Sham Sharania reported, I think, around 2.30 the day of the deadline. So we were on our toes the last half hour leading mm-hmm. up to it. But it was initially reported that Golden State's getting Sadiq Bay for five second round picks or something with James Wiseman, something along those lines. And then I don't know, they go, oh, they're getting Gary Payton the second and Sadiq Bay is going to Atlanta. I think Sadiq Bay would have been a much better fit for Golden State with what they're trying to do. I mean, Gary Payton the second is already 30 years old. He's having abdominal issues, just had surgery and all that aside, he's out at least the next two months, but Golden State basically couldn't pay Hayden what Portland paid him this past summer because they only had the taxpayer MLE while Portland had the full MLE. So Portland paid him that. Golden State ended up trading back for him with what Portland paid him. And to me, that's a sign they know they're not going to be able to re-sign Dante DiVincenzo this year or this summer. Mm. But... Hayden, I do think, yes, you helped him win a championship. I do think it was a flash in the pan. I mean, next year's his age 31 and 32 seasons. I just, I don't love it. I would have loved Sadiq Bey on a rookie deal a lot more, and then you figure it out after that, than paying Hayden the mid-level exception money that he's getting to be your fourth guard because you already have Jordan Poole coming off the bench. Yeah, 
I, I mean, there's not a whole lot of me to add to that. I agree. I think, I mean, I like the idea, I guess, if you're trying to keep this very group together, maybe Golden State's acknowledging, hey, the whole two timelines, not quite what we thought it would be, you know? We probably shouldn't let Gary Payton go. Injury issues aside, when he's healthy, I think it'll be helpful for this more veteran unit. Obviously, they're not willing to move away from those guys yet. And like you said, maybe this is an admission that Dante DiVincenzo is, and deservedly so, going to fetch more money than we can afford to, you know, pay to keep him. So if that's the case, sure. I guess you have to do it, right? At the end of the day, I'm not enamored with their returns, but this team has been middling all season long. And that was before, you know, with Steph Curry in and out of the lineup. So I, I don't know if they could have done anything that would maybe go, yeah, like, this is the right move to really build yourself up better. It's this not is the more move, an admission. It's mm-hmm. not the move I anticipated them using to get get off of James Wiseman. No, I can agree with that. I, I, I figured it was going to happen. I'm glad that it did. Um, as far as them just realizing, hey, this wasn't working. I think they waited a season too long for that. But, hey, it happened. But you're right. I, I don't think if you looked at the move that you imagined Wiseman being gone in, you would have thought you'd have gotten more in return than that. Exactly. So... Okay, next thing we have is the Houston Rockets. Houston basically took on two potentially good second-round picks with OKC's 24 and 25 seconds, though OKC is definitely having, you know, they're on the play-in right now. They're getting Chad Holmgren back, and they're probably going to get another lottery pick. But mm-hmm. they got two potentially decent seconds, but taking on Frank Kaminsky and Justin Holiday, and then they... Basically got a first-round swap. They couldn't get a regular first fair quarter like they wanted, but they were able to move up with potentially about 8 to 10 picks in the first round by swapping their Milwaukee first that they owned with the Clippers first to take on John Wall and Danny Green in a very convoluted multi-team trade where they basically gave up Eric Gordon and got that pick swap. So... It was creative. They did get some value for Eric Gordon. Again, they probably moved up from right now what would be pick 29, I believe it was, to pick 19. I would imagine the Clippers end up maybe in the 22 to 23 range in the draft. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they got rid of Eric Gordon, moved up seven picks. I think that's fine. I gave them a B. I will give about the same. I mean, again, you're a Houston Rockets team. A lot of your work's going to be done offseason. You know what I mean? A lot of we're going to see is draft. You got rid of Eric Gordon finally, two years too late, but it happened, you know, um, get a chance now to reevaluate a little bit. I'm not mad at it. I think it's pretty simple. Again, a lot of what I feel they're going to do is another team we see more in the offseason, not to grade what they've done this trade deadline, but more just to see what they do moving forward. This is a piece of business, I think, at least in the Eric Gordon move that we all sort of saw coming. At this point, moving forward, we just kind of wait and see. It's all about the lottery for them. This is the first A I gave out. Or A minus, actually, and it's the Indiana mm. Pacers. I mean, they got three second round picks for eating salary, and one of those guys are Jordan Noir, who I actually, when I had Brett Bauer on this offseason to talk about the Pacers on this podcast, we were talking about how the Pacers should go after Jordan Noir and sign him because he was still, you know, it took him a while into this offseason to sign with Milwaukee. I think that's a good flyer. I mean, so they got Noir and three second round picks for basically eating George Hill and Sergi Baca. I mean, Excellent job using cap space and taking fire on a big forward, which is something the Pacers don't have on that roster. Yeah. He's a nice young player. He's shown flashes in Milwaukee. He's going to get a run in Indiana. And like you said, position of need. So not a whole lot there. Also like the return on a much lower level, George Hill. 
gives you some veteran steadiness at the backcourt position. Um, also an Indiana favorite from IUPUI, right? Um, and, you know, when he came in and the crowd went wild, it was crazy. You know, that's kind of maybe a swan song for him, but also to be on a team that is still trying to make some noise in the playoffs, he can definitely bring some three-point shooting, that veteran knowledge, some decent switchability across both backcourt positions defensively, even though he's a little older, and also that veteran wisdom for a Tyrese Halliburton and, a, and a Andrew um, no. Nembhardt. I actually gave out a second A minus back to back. That's the Los Angeles Clippers. Oh, you, you're feeling generous. That's not normally what you I do. think those are the no. only two I gave. Maybe I gave one more later on, but I think those were the only two A minuses I gave. Um, but the fact that the Clippers basically got three second round picks, traded three second round picks, did that pick swap to get Eric Gordon, and they got three rotation players that will probably be rotation players for them in the playoffs with Mason Plumley, Bones Highland, and Eric Gordon. For Reggie Jackson, John Wall, and Luke Kennard. So it's not, I mean, not bad. No, they they desperately needed, well, not desperately, because I think Paul George and Kawhi are bought dominant enough anyway, but they needed a playmaker. They've been starting Terrence Mann to the point guard, and he's been playing great. But they were able to get Bones Highland to be his backup. I know they just got Russell Westbrook, which I don't love. I only love Westbrook if you're going to use him in like 24 minutes a night. As like a regular sin, regular season, like innings eater relief pitcher, you mm. can't play him in the playoffs. You can't. But Plumlee's well, mm-hmm. backup center to Zubash in the playoffs. Eric Gordon is another wing that you could throw at teams. They are cluttered with plenty of wings they could throw at teams in the playoffs. And both Highland and Man because they're the point guard minute. So, given how little they gave up. I mean, John Wall and Reggie Jackson have both fallen out of favor for the Clippers, and Luke Kennard was really a rotation guy. I think they did an excellent job. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I actually don't have – I'm a Russ fan, so this is already come, come off bias. But my idea about Westbrook is this for the Clippers. If Westbrook is able to create catch-and-shoot opportunities for the Clippers' array of snipers, right, then that's helpful. If he's able to push the pace on moments where Kawhi and PG aren't playing, then that's helpful, right? At the bottom line is, you know, you are going to get the irrational play of, of Russ. That, that just is part of the show with him. What I do think you have is a unique position with the Clippers that you didn't have with the Lakers, which is if Russ isn't playing well, if he's being destructive, the Clippers added him onto the team. They didn't, huh? They got to pull the plug quick if that happens. That's what I'm saying. But yeah, exactly. But like, there, there, like there's no, you didn't trade anyone for Westbrook. You didn't lose anyone. There's going to be a minutes allocation. That could be tricky. But then you can make it untricky because if he's not playing well, then you give those minutes back to the guys who are playing well. And unlike the Lakers, who to a point were kind of slaved to Westbrook because they didn't like the fit, but talent-wise, they didn't have enough to meet it. The Clippers have no such issue. So if he's not playing well, then we don't need him playing. The Lakers had no choice. You know, they had to find a way. They had to have him crunch time sometimes, even when they didn't want to, because he was just better than the talent that was coming off the bench, you know, equivalent to him. The Clippers don't have that problem. So if it's not working, don't play him. Move on. You know, I don't think you lose anything. You know, if anything is more like the like the Rondo situation, you traded Lou Wolf. That was bad, right? You know, you lost a guy who was a part of your locker room, part of your soul there, it was a kind of player. No, it didn't. And and the need for a pure point guard. And I see a bit there. The difference is, again, you don't have to give up anything, really. And if you move minutes around, didn't work out well, then move them back. At the end of the day, this is something the players wanted for the Clippers. And if you're the front office, the front office didn't want this. But Paul George lobbied for him. Um, Marcus Morris lobbied for him. 
even Nicholas Batum went up and spoke about it. So you had enough vets come out and say something that, okay, you want to appease your team. I get it. And if it doesn't work, say la vie. That's how I look at it. I don't think it's going to be as damaging as I've seen people say on Twitter, just because I don't think the Clippers will let it get to that point. And it's not like he's making or breaking their season. Like I think Ty Lue is too good of a coach to let it get to that point. There you go. So, so there, exactly. I, I thought Darvin Ham did a good job when he had to manage it as well, given the tenuous situation, at least right up until the last couple of weeks where LeBron decided to go crazy, you know, on Instagram, on Twitter and everything. But I, I think you're right. Ty Lue as a, as a, manager of personalities it won't get that way and again the players wanted him i think you do something for your for your for your players and if it doesn't work out you cut ties anyway that's all my analysis on that just to go with you on the clippers i agree i think that they have a i don't know i I almost feel like moving chairs to me because you still don't have like a legit point guard you know you still have combo guards I mean, I guess now with Russ, you have your point guard, but Bones Highland to me is a combo guard who skews more towards shooting guard, but is point guard size. Eric Gordon, again, combo guard who can handle the ball, but really at this point, it's more of a small forward, right? Like you, you have moves that way, but at the same time, it does help your bench a little bit. Your bench is kind of weak. It gives you a little more on-ball juice for some of those guys. And Russ can be the wild card, which can help you sometimes. He helped the Lakers several times this season juicing up the offense and getting them into positions that were advantageous from the score on easy opportunities. That can alleviate the burden for Paul George and Kawhi. That's all. It could also go horribly wrong. I don't think horribly wrong because, like, again, we said Ty Lue, we trust. But it can go wrong as well. I, I just feel all in all, I give him a B. It was okay. Okay, then let's talk about Russell Westbrook's old team, the Los Angeles Lakers. I actually gave them a B plus. I'm actually pretty impressed with what Val Plank was able to pull off at the deadline. Um... I think my favorite aspect of it is the fact that that 2027 first is top four protected. And if it falls in top four, it just becomes a 2027 seconds. They didn't have to put any other future protection on it. So that makes the 2029 first. And then next off season, the 2030 first, they could trade one of them. They can't trade both because of Stapian, but they didn't hamstring themselves with being able to trade a future first. So yeah, I mean, they got rid of Westbrook. They got moved off Patrick Beverly, moved off Thomas Bryant, Damian Jones, JTA, and a few seconds. And they got four legitimate rotation guys. I mean, D'Angelo Russell, again, free agents. So he doesn't eat in the cast space quite yet if a bigger moose presents itself. Same thing, Malik Beasley has a team option. I imagine they pick it up, but they could, you know, cut him for cast space. Jared Vanderbilt is making $4.7 million next year. He's an absolute bargain. And then Mo Bamba, you have a non-guarantee on next year. Same thing, you could cut him and turn him into cap space as well. So, or, I mean, this Lakers team, and now if you factor in Rui Hachimura as well, all of a sudden they have guys. They don't have just LeBron and AD and Ross and a bunch of minimum guys. They actually have somewhat of a rotation now. And Malik Beasley and Vanderbilt, I think you could have theoretically said, both could have went for a mid to late first on their own. And then D'Angelo Russell, I guess we package him in as well. He's still someone. So I think they did well giving up one widely protected, but if, you know, for lack of a better term, shit hits the fan. Mm -hmm. They keep the top four protected pick and then just convert to a second. Then it's like you, you basically trade a second on pick for all those guys. So yeah, I, I I actually like I've been very critical of Rob Palenka despite winning the championship in 2020. I think this is excellent business by the Lakers. Uh, yeah, I give him an A. I would give him an A. I okay. think you know the fact I just because like you said you were able to fill positions of need, 
across all your positions, right? You got additional shooting between Russell and, and Beasley. You have your improved point guard who can play off those guys in Russell. You have that energy guy who can help rebound and do a great job alongside AD in Vanderbilt. You have some additional front court size, some additional floor spacing in Mobamba. Like you are able to add some pieces without setting out a whole lot to make they that happen. Added, I mean, they added everything you want for LeBron James team in yes. one exactly without giving out a whole ton of assets like all the players that were gone were guys who either didn't fit or are most likely talked about being used as a vehicle for a trade anyway with the exception of Lonnie Walker that's another story I feel like he might be in a bad position because he is now squeezed out the rotation if the first two games have any indication and also is somebody who may not be brought back in or maybe they're kind of suppressing his value to resign at a lower amount That'd be some diabolical thinking there, but it is Rob Palenka. That being said, the fact they're able to make all of these moves with the quote-unquote famed Laker tax while only using basically one of their two first-round picks and keeping one in play along with the one that they'll be able to use come draft night to maybe make another upgrade, that's an A for me because none of us saw any of that happening. Now, is it too little too late? Maybe. We'll see. The remaining 23 games are going to be huge for the Lakers. But right now, you've given an energized LeBron James something to really work towards and a team that makes much better sense for him in the future. Also, all these guys, 27 and younger, and all can be retained going into the offseason under the Lakers. So, like, they hold all the cards. That wonderful piece of business for them this offseason. Yep. D'Angelo Russell, again, not a catch-and-shoot guy, but a guy you could play off LeBron, a point guard who doesn't need the ball in his hands. I'm like Russell Westbrook. Malik Beasley, a great, not a great, but a pretty damn good shooter wing coming off the bench. Jared Vanderbilt, very versatile defender who could probably guard, let's say three through five with occasionally he could defend guards as your big man who could complement Anthony Davis. And Mo Bamba's your three and D big. So again, everything you want in a LeBron James team, you got, you put pieces of the puzzle better together. You took ill-fitting pieces and gave LeBron and AD pieces that fit much better. Exactly. You made it work, and, and that's all you can ask for. The Memphis Grizzlies, I actually gave them a C. They traded Danny Green and three second on picks to get Luke Kennard. While Luke Kennard's clearly an upgrade to what Danny Green is at this point in this career, Memphis desperately needed shooting. And Luke Kennard is probably just about the best shooter on the market. So I'm not going to fault them for that. I mean, you came in saying, this is what we need to address, this is what we need. And they went out and got it. But Memphis and the Pelicans, I feel like, are the two teams that, what we talked about earlier, no teams had any first set to trade, which is why these role players were going for four, three, four, five second-round picks. Mm-hmm. The Grizzlies apparently offered four first-round picks for Mikhail Bridges. They apparently offered four first-round picks plus for Kevin Durant. They apparently offered three first-round picks for OG Ananobi, and they struck out on all of them. If they were able to get OG Ananobi or Mikhail Bridges... They would be a championship contender. They might be the favorites with John Morant and Desmond Bain and Mikkel Bridges or Ananobi and Jaron Jackson. And then whoever you play the five, what Steven Adams play, got played off the court that year in playoffs, but a Brandon Clark or an Xavier Tillman would move Jaron Jackson up to the five, whatever you need to do. That's a good, young, boss-friendly team that still has flexibility going forward. Mm-hmm. Now, sure, you have you have Luke Kennard for three years, and he's needing $13 million a year into your cap, and sure, you get an elite shooter, but with how deep Memphis is, how many minutes are you going to rely on Luke Kennard for anyway? 
Sure. That's my biggest sure. issue with it. Sure. No, I agree. He's going to come in. He's going to knock shots down at a high efficiency. But was he going to play 15 minutes a night for you? That is true. That is true. I mean, at the same, I, guess yeah, I expected that is true. more. It's the same thing I told David in the mock trade deadline when he acquired Isaiah Hardenstein and Cam Reddish for Danny Green. I said, I don't hate it, but I was just expecting Memphis to do more. And they just, they didn't. And Memphis is very calculated with what they do. And every single thing they touch seems to turn into gold. So yeah, maybe Luke Kennard hits the three that gets them in the Western Conference Finals. Who knows? But I just, I don't think, see it. I think they could have had an OG Ananobi package somewhere. Again, this is me speculating. They just, they didn't find a way to get it done. Uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, again, you're right. We don't know how close these deals were to happening or not, right? But they went with the firepower to make such a move happen. Um, they had the clear need to do it. They had the opportunity to make that done. Um, and it didn't happen. And Luke Kennard does help them with some shooting. Uh, maybe his off-ball action will help their rather anemic half-court offense do something. But just in terms of an upside play, um, that's nowhere near what you could have gotten from OG and Obi. Just straight up, you know. So and I agree. He still would have. He's not Luke Kennard as a shooter, but no. he still would have shot thirty-eight percent from three on high volume and provided elite wing defense. It just it would have fit so much better if you got an OG and Nobi or Mikel Bridges, and they could yeah. get it done. And they again they made an offer for Kevin freaking Durant. So I don't know was Desmond Bain in that package? I have no idea. But yeah, well, he, and he probably know. wasn't. That could have been it. Also, I mean. No yeah. Way. Also, Br- Brooklyn just said no. I, I don't fault. I don't fault Memphis for not getting Mikael Bridges. When Brooklyn said we're just not going to trade him. Yeah, you know no, what I mean? But I do fault them for finding a way to not get OG and Obi. And again, maybe that's something they reevaluate this summer. I mean, and Obi mm-hmm. does have another year on his deal. Yeah, that's true, and it's possible. But you're right. There'll be there's a concern there. I guess of not diminishing returns, but of what happens with that. But I agree. Um, that's something I would look at definitely. The Miami Heat. Gave them a C. All they did was trade Dwayne Dedman in 2028 second round pick to get enough under the tax of flexibility to sign Kevin Love. That's what they did. Um, as you know, I was Miami in the mock trade deadline, and I very had to be very patient, and it took me a long-ass time to be able to bring in a Jay Crowder and an Eric Gordon and get off Duncan Robinson. But you know what? Clearly, Pat Riley isn't the GM that I am because I was able to pull it off and he wasn't. So, but I do say Miami was in a very difficult spot going to the deadline just because of how close they were to the tax, and they're really not a true contender. But they're going to be an absolute cap hell next starting next year, and they have future moves to make. I mean, they still have Kyle Lowry, a point guard who looks like a shell of his own self. They still have Duncan Robinson. They're going to have the Max Drews free agency. They're going to have the Gabe Vincent free agency. They have all these questions. And I don't know how many of them Kevin Love realistically answers. So, yeah, I, I, I think he answers the shooting, and that's yeah. about it. I agree. Yeah, and and you're going to tax hell for a team that really shouldn't be there. Um, that's all you gotta say. Like they're not a contending team. They just aren't. You gotta go. Oh my bad. Talking to the dog. Anyway, they're not a contending team. It just kind of is one of those things right now. And so, yeah, I I think it was a little bit of fiscal irresponsibility from them, and that's just one of those things. Okay, the Milwaukee Bucks, I actually gave them a B. They basically, uh, we talked about this in the end, they gave, they gave up George Hill, Ibaka, and Jordan Water, and then five second-round picks, all of which don't look like very good 
seconds, except maybe Indiana's 2025 second Indiana got back. But mm. they basically gave up no rotational players. They ended up keeping Grayson Allen. They kept Joe Ingles. They kept all their entire player rotation intact and added the guy they've been targeting all year in Jay Crowder. So, yeah, gave them a B plus. Yeah, for five seconds, I weren't going to do a whole lot. So I think it was solid. You know, I mean, five seconds, we're going to do a whole lot for them. So I um, I agree. I think that was a nice little bit of business. They were able to, you know, shore up, again, uh, a little position weakness there and, hey, able, and, and go from there. If you're able to add a guy who's going to play 30 legitimate minutes for you in the playoffs without giving up a first-round pick or any other guy in your rotation, it's tough not to give them a very, very good game. Mm-hmm. And it's very reminiscent of when Milwaukee traded for P.J. Tucker two years ago and he helped win them a championship. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely is. It's that key little signing that makes all the difference. And we saw Jay Crowder, if anyone can do it, two different teams, two different finals appearances. Okay, next one I have is the Minnesota Timberwolves. They traded D'Angelo Russell. They got Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and a whole bunch of seconds. It's okay. I mean, Minnesota, I gave them a B. Minnesota's biggest issue was they had no point guard next year with D'Angelo Russell always being unlikely to be re-signed. They started adjusting Anthony Edwards into the on-ball guard to basically play de facto point guard for them. And yeah, they, they got Mike Conley, who does have 14 million guaranteed next year at the minimum, but they could keep him on the books for 24.3 million. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. But yeah, I mean, I Mike Conley gives them familiarity with Rudy Gobert. I don't know what the hell is wrong with Rudy Gobert, why nobody gets along <laughs> with him. He clashed with Donovan Mitchell. They're reporting he clashed with D'Angelo Russell. So he said, you know what? He gets along with Mike Conley. Mike Conley's a stable veteran presence. So instead of bringing in, they shipped out Carl Anthony Towns' friend and brought in Rudy Gobert's friend. So, I don't know. Yeah, Minnesota, is- again, lack of a better term, I usually curse on this podcast, but Minnesota's a clusterfuck. That's the, that's the best way I could explain it. I, I have to agree. Uh, I was actually hoping they'd be bold. I think I told you about this and just, I think we talked about this on the podcast and with Logan, uh, just saying, hey, you made a mistake with Rudy Gobert? Cut our losses. Somehow. Somebody's going to want Rudy Gobert. You're not going to get anywhere near the package that you get in return, but you're not going to get that back anyway. So that was my idea. You know, let it go. Free Anthony Edwards. Move forward. See what you can get. Um, it didn't work out. It was an experiment, but here we go. They're going to double down. Uh, they might think, hey, we got Carlton Towns coming back here after the break. Let's see what happens. Let's try to double down this. I don't know. Um, I would imagine they're keeping Mike Conley. Oh, because yeah. I mean, well, they have to Russell, now. Be- again, mm-hmm. expiring deal. Conley has 14.3 mil guaranteed. Or 14 mil guaranteed or 24.3 mil if he's on the team next year. So they're not paying him $14 million just for playing the extra 30 games this year. They, I think mm-hmm. they plan on keeping him. No, I'd agree. I'd agree. I think that's that's definitely something that they will 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 attempt to do. Okay. The next team I have the New Orleans Pelicans. And this might be a little unfair that it gave Memphis such a harsh grade and not the Pelicans, because the Pelicans are another team that could have OG and Obi would have done wonders for them. Mm-hmm. But they basically received Josh Richardson, who seems like a low-end rotation player for them, maybe ninth man off the bench, playing spot minutes mm-hmm. in the playoffs for them. But they basically gave up three second-round picks and Devontae Graham. 
for Josh Richardson. So this was a move about getting off of Devontae Graham, essentially. Usually a guy making about one. And we saw that when Anil came on in the mock trade deadline. He said, look, it's going to take a first and so on to get off Devontae Graham's money. They were able to get off his money for three second round picks and still got a guy you could contribute to that very, very, very injured wing core that the Pelicans have. Ideally, you don't want him playing minutes for you in the play-in or the playoffs if you're the Pelicans, but Mm -hmm. the Pelicans have never paid the luxury tax in franchise history, which we talked about a couple episodes ago. And now that he got up Devontae Graham's $12 million next year with Zion's rookie extension kicking in, you might not have to. You might have avoided the tax next year by giving up those few seconds. So excellent business. I gave them a B plus. Even though I did want an OGN and OB, same type of thing I wanted for Memphis, but New Orleans had bad money to get off of, and Memphis did not. Yeah, and Memphis that, I, is much more of a contender than the Pelicans are in my. Opinion. I was going to say injuries have been a big factor, big factor for New Orleans in a way that they haven't been in the same degree for Memphis. So I would agree with you on that. So no, I, I think you're right. It would be nice if they'd done that. Definitely would have vaulted them to a higher level, in my opinion, of contention or, or somewhere in that vicinity. Um, but it didn't happen, and I'm not going to hold them against it. I'm not going to hold it against them, rather. I think they could still keep the powder dry if they believe that much in Trey Murphy and and and, and um, Herb, Herb Jones, then sure. Um, and I they have Najee think- Marshall. I mean, they have guys there. They do. So if they, if that's what they want to stick with, then then sure. I'm not as mad about it because I don't think it was as glaring a need as Memphis was. No, you you had to get up Devontae Graham, though. So excellent job for them to, exactly, that to do that. Mm-hmm, so absolutely. The New York Knicks, they basically got Josh Hart for Cam Reddish in 2023 first. Obviously, Svima Hylik and Ronnie Oshiakno were in there for Sally Filler. But Josh Hart is a very Tom Thibodeau player. And I think he's going to be an excellent Six man for the next. I think they should bring him off the bench behind Quinn and Grimes, but he's going to do the dirty work. I think he was an excellent addition. And the Knicks have so many other teams' first round picks and their own that they could have afforded to give up one for Josh Hart, who, yes, he's going to be a free agent this year, most likely, mm-hmm. but you made Jalen Brunson happy. There's a good shot Hart resigns because he wants to play with Brunson. And, you know, you got him for a lottery protected first, and you still have Dallas's pick as well. Yeah. Again, solid business. You said it, it was looking at and, and looking at what they're able to be in position to play. Like you said, they kept the powder dry. Yeah, gave them a B plus. I mean, I'm not a whole lot to big, give. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I'm not a big proponent of a team who has zero shot at a championship being buyers for an expiring guy. But this situation, I do think, is a bit different because okay. the Knicks are still. They're trying to establish that culture when two years ago, when they, they were the four seed, when George Randall made all NBA, they said, okay, now free agents are going to want to come here because we're establishing that our new front office and our new coaching staff is competent. Now they have Jalen Brunson. They have a legitimate point guard. They have RJ Barrett. Julius Randall made a second all-star team. Now they're saying, okay, now we have a guy like Josh Hart. We're getting role players in now. Like now we're building the foundation that we'll one star away to really taking that step, if that makes sense. That does. I get what you're saying. It's it's basically the Brooklyn Nets kind of equivalency, where you had Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson build. You know, you bring in, you had D'Lo, you had Joe Harris, you had Ronald Hallis Jefferson, you had all these guys, and you had all the cap space, and that gave two free agents the opportunity to look and say, hey, like the market, like what they're building, I can get my money, let me go over there in Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving. So you're but basically doing the same. Or the, the Clippers. 
I know that Nets team had like Chaos LeVert and Jared Allen. This mm-hmm. Knicks team, Spencer Dimity too. OJ, OJ Barrett's not poison pill next year, and he's going to be making a max stroke extension. So you could mm. trade OJ Barrett and whatever first you have, which is a slew of them, for a star. And then all of a sudden you have X player with Julius Randle, with Jalen Brunson, with Josh Hart if he resigns. I, I mean, all of a sudden that's a fun team. That's a pretty good team too, potentially. That's not a bad team. No, I get what you're saying. I agree. Okay. I agree. Oklahoma City Thunder basically traded Darius Bazzi, Mike Muscala for Dario Saric, Justin Jackson, and three second-round picks. I mean, OKC really had to acquire two 2029 second-round picks because they have so many freaking picks. What are two more 2029 picks for a kid who's currently in middle school going to do for you? But, I mean, they weren't going to re-sign Darius Bazzi. That was evidence. But Mike Muscala was a legitimate player for them. I mean, he was a, actually a net positive for them in Minnesota's on the court. But their front court is so thin right now, I don't think they're going to buy out Dario Saric. I think he's going to contribute and actually help them more than Darius Bazzi would have. So, I don't know. I gave OKC a B- just because you're finally establishing that culture. I don't think you really had to go and trade one of your main locker room guys in Muscala in order to get two more 2029 seconds. But at the same time, roster spots are going to be tough to come by in OKC. They probably weren't going to pick up his team option. Basley definitely was going to be resigned. They still have a million picks. They have a ton of cap space. You, you, you had to free up the roster spot. So you know what? Yeah. I think B minus is fine. I agree. I think it was a hard decision. Muscala liked there. They obviously liked having him there, but you said it this time for a transition as a team to the next phase, I think they're doing a very good job of that. The, the Thunder are. And yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see the roster crunch and how the Thunder are going to work that out. And this m- meant cutting ties with both a guy that was really helpful in Muscala and a guy who wasn't as helpful, but was still a part of their team for a number of years in Darius Baisley. And okay, let's move on to Orlando. I know we're taking a little bit longer than we wanted to, but. Orlando basically traded Mo Bamba for Patrick Beverly, who they bought out in 2024 Lakers seconds. Now, they're probably banking on the Lakers second being decent, but given they sell LeBron James and Anthony Davis the picks next year and the Lakers have a ton of cap space, I'm not so sure that's going to be a top 45 pick. So they basically re-signed Mo Bamba to trade him for a single decent second-round pick when I'm sure they signed Mo Bamba this summer or re-signed him they wanted probably a legitimate, decent first-round pick for him. And that didn't come true. I mean, Mike Muscala went for two seconds. I think Mo Bamba, they should be able to get more than one. But, and they held uh-huh. Terrence Ross. They've been holding Terrence Ross for years, trying to get a first-round pick for him, which you knew they were never going to get because they traded Evan Fournier for two seconds two years ago. They ended up having to buy Ross out. I just think Orlando should have gotten more. And they ended up getting nothing for Ross and a single second for Bomber. I mean, I, I, I agree. I think some of it was just, it was a bad asset play. They thought, hey, we'll keep these guys. You know, you could have made, made a move on both in the offseason, right? They said, hey, we'll keep these guys, see if they can redeem their value, and then get them for more than we would have gotten them right now. For different reasons, that didn't happen. Yeah. And I doubt it was going to be better moving forward. So if that's the case, I feel like, Yes, I definitely have to ding them, but really digging them for the decision they made in the offseason than what they did this trade deadline because not their fault the value wasn't high for those guys. It's their, val- it's their fault for overestimating 
the value of those players during the offseason, thinking we could retain them and make a move in the trade deadline, then realizing that you were going to get back what you thought you would. So just an overvaluing of your players, then that is a ding, you know, in a front office um, because you didn't get what you thought you would. So I agree. I agree. I think it's a bad hand on their part. It's not all their fault, but it's definitely a part of it. The next team I had, the Philadelphia 76ers, I gave them a B plus. I mean, I love Matisse Thibault as a person. He has a great presence in the locker room. Obviously, two-time all-defense as a limited, pretty limited bench player playing about 20 minutes a night. But they gave up Thibault and what's right now the 34th pick in the draft, so a high second-round pick, for Jalen McDaniels, a 2024 Knicks second, and 2029 pulled in second. So they ended up actually getting an extra seconds, which maybe the next 2024 seconds okay, and maybe that pulled in 2029 second could be really good. Who knows that far out in the future? But I think the Sixers overall did get an upgrade in Jalen McDaniels. He's bigger than Thibault. He can actually play offense, and he's still a pretty adequate defender. So I think the Sixers did well, and yeah, I, I think Thibault would have been unplayable in the playoffs this year because of how poor he is on offense, while McDaniels could be the legitimate seventh man off the bench in the playoffs for them. I agree. Again, you take a roster spot that was doing adequately and you upgrade. Even if it's a marginal upgrade, you have a guy who, like you said, would be unplayable, and they have a guy who not only is playable, but is tantalizing with his ability to switch, maybe stick the corner through on a consistent basis, bring you some more additional length and athleticism. Yeah, I like it. Now, McDaniels is an unrestricted free agent, so I'm not sure what the Sixers are going to do with him. I'm assuming he's going to make about seven and a half to $8 million a year next year, so maybe six times like three for 24 to keep him around. But six have their own, they have his bird right, so they don't need to use like the taxpayer MLA or something. Mm-hmm. They got to figure out what's going on with James Harden first, so we'll see. Totally different story. You said it. The Phoenix Suns, this is the other team I gave an A minus. It's hard not to give them an A minus given. You know, they got Kevin Durant. My biggest issue is they're just, they traded all their depth away. I mean, their fifth starter is probably going to be Tory Craig. Their sixth man is probably Josh Koji, and then Campaign's a backup point guard, and Bismick Biombo is a backup center. I mean, who else do they really have? Darius Basley and TJ Warren, you need to hope one of those two guys are able to contribute. Because I think Dario Sarge legitimately could have, but when you acquire Kevin Durant, they had a luxury tax decision to make and traded Sarge to get cheaper and get Basley. And again, I think you need to bank on TJ Warren to start doing TJ Warren things 2020 bubble style. But that's my biggest concern with the Suns team is how little depth they have now. But I mean, they got Kevin Durant. They were able to keep DeAndre Aiden by getting Kevin Durant. And yeah, I, I do think they probably are the favorites to win the NBA title now. Yeah. I mean, listen, I don't like the fact they lost a lot of their depth as well, but there was no way they were going to keep all of that, you know, and get one of the great, just one of the greatest scores of our time in the situation that they found themselves in. You know, I think that it is going to be up to the front office, James Jones and, and that team to figure out how to best, you know, well, James Jones and Monty Williams are going to put their heads together. If James Jones can get a good bio guy, if Monty Williams can integrate him into the Sun system successfully to make that work out. But regardless, um, yeah, it had to be done. You, you, the, the Suns, in my opinion, weren't a championship contender um, before making this trade, and now they most definitely are. And as good as Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson were, they're only a championship contender now because of the addition of Kevin Durant. That's how big it is. So I feel like, yeah, it does suck to have that much depth go, and that your future is going to be pretty gnarly, you know, unless you know how to keep this level of sustained winning 
you know, moving forward, it's not going to be super great. But you're trying to win a championship, you make those plays, and the Suns absolutely did. The Pullman Trailblazers kind of started doing something they needed two years ago, and that's, you know, really sell off. We saw them do it at the deadline last year, but then they backtrack on that, and then they had a big trade apply exception from the C.J. McCollum trade, then acquired Jeremy Grant with it, and... Yeah, they, they just need to pick a direction. So they traded Josh Hard, who they likely weren't going to be able to resign, and Gary Payton the second, who they just signed, and clearly it I know he's been hurt and whatever. But they traded both of them. They got five second round picks. Cam Radish and Matisse Leibel, who were both restricted free agents, and they acquired that Knicks 2023 first. So we'll have to see what they do. But I I think it was good business by them. They weren't going to go anywhere. So why not? move off guys you don't see in your future, such as Josh Hardy, who can resign, and Gary Payton II, who maybe you have a little bit, bit of buyers you most in that contract, to take a fly on a guy like Cam Reddish or Matisse Leibel, so, and get all the second-round picks. So, I, I, and obviously the Knicks 2023 first-round pick. So I think this was fine by Portman. I just, they need to pick a direction. They just, they can't be selling at every deadline and then buying every offseason. That's not how it's going to, be able to work successfully just to keep mm-hmm. Dame, Dame Lillard bought in for the next year. Yeah, that's why I'm knocking them. I, I think this just continues that revolving door. And you have a Dame who's 32 who I'm going to say is a hot take. I don't think he's playing worth his contract. He's playing great, but he's getting paid so much. It's not a knock on his level of play. That's a knock on just how much he's getting paid to be your best player, to be a play-in team in the West year after year after year with a revolving door of wings and prospects and players that the Blazers just keep seeming to shuffle in and out regardless of the front office regime, regardless of the coach, it needs to change. And they didn't change. They continued it for at least another half of a season until we see what they do again in the offseason. And I just can't, I can't, I can't, that's not, no. <laughs> I'm over it, as you can clearly tell. Sacramento Kings, they really did nothing. I mean, they added Kessler Edwards for, I think it was cash. So yeah, I, I, like Kess- I like Kessler Edwards. He was a decent flyer to take. And Sacramento needs the wing death. We've seen them play KZ Akpala in spurts. Maybe Kessler Edwards takes those minutes as a little bit more effective. Gave them a B minus. Otherwise, don't have that much more to say about it. Yeah, they're a good team. Didn't have to do a whole lot. Like them to sit pat. They're playing with house money right now. Good to go. Okay, San Antonio. They were similar to Indiana. They had a whole slew of cast space to spend, but they also had a few guys that they could move. So they traded Jakob Poto and Josh Richardson. They took on Devontae Graham and Ken Birch's money, took on Dwayne Dedman, got maybe a potentially good pick, a 2024 Toronto top six first-round pick, then Toronto seconds, Pelicans seconds. They ended up getting, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven second-round picks for Josh Richardson and Podal with that Toronto first for basically eating, I think, what is that? Like $18 million into the books next year, which they had way more cash space to even know what to do with. So they didn't even meet the salary for this year. So good for them getting a potentially good first for Podal and, you know, getting value for Richardson by taking on Graham's contract. And yeah, I mean, I don't think they had a whole lot to do with the cash space anyway this year. Again, they didn't even hit the salary for, so good for them, even though they're taking money beyond this year. Yeah, solid. Again, not a whole lot to really read into more than what you laid out there. Um, given what they had to work with and what they ended up doing, don't hate it. 
The Toronto Raptors, the team who received Jakob, <laughs> yeah. same thing, traded Ken Birch, 2024 first-round pick that was top six protected, a 2023 second, 2025 seconds. I gave Toronto a D just because I think they should have went the other way rather than be buyers and trade potentially a really good first. They should have sold OG Ananobi and Fred Van Vliet and um, Gary Trent Jr. Now you need to re-sign all of them, not Ananobi, but... Are you going to be able to really re-sign Podol and Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. while keeping Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, and Siakam happy? Because I don't think so. I know Toronto's needed a center for years, and that's been the glaring hole in their roster, but they're, ju- they're just not good enough with their current team. They're not. Mm-mm. No, they just and aren't. And you need to re-sign all these guys. You have to re-sign every... Van Vliet is going to want 25 mil a year. Trent's going to want 20 mil a year. Podol's mm-hmm. going to want 18 mil a year. Are you really going to pay off of them? No. So you now need to bank on signing trades in order to get recoup value for them. And you're probably still going to trade OG Ananobi this summer with his expiring deal. You just got so much more expensive while staying so much more mediocre. Yes, exactly. So yeah, I get Toronto with D. I mean, I just, I, I know minus, it's Ayu Jerry is the a The writing was on the wall. Yeah. Okay. okay. Utah Jazz. Traded Mike Conley, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, two second round picks, Nikhil Alexander Walker for Russell Westbrook, Damian Jones, Juan Toscano Anderson. Got that Lakers first we talked about. I gave them a B plus just because I know they probably could have got a little bit more value for the combination of Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, and Mike Conley. Mm. But they got off of Conley, as I said, he has 14 mil minimum guaranteed next year. They got off that money, gave ample cap, cap space. I would have liked it if they kept Vanderbilt, but that's probably the only way you get that Lakers pick so lightly protected. And BZ's a player, but I think they did an excellent job of just doing what they're doing, adding another first. And they've been winning games. Now all of a sudden, they could bottom out and get five spots higher in the lottery now that they traded these guys for this year. So, mm-hmm. And I think that was, like you said, some of the part of the plan, right? They played well. Surprise. You got an all-star. You had to happen in your city. You know, you, you had a team that looks really good going into all-star break. And now, you know, you can quietly over the next, you know, 20 odd games, begin the, the demolition process and, and be okay with it. And then last and probably least. Absolutely. The Washington Wizards do nothing. They keep Kyle Kuzma, who's, I promise you, I know. I'm not in Washington's front office and I know I'm not Kuzma's agent. So I don't have any inside information. He is not resigning there, dude. Like there's no what. So now you need to worry about trying to bring Kuzma back. You need to worry about re-upping Chris Porzingis because he's probably opting out of his player option. I mean, Bradley Beal has no trade calls. You just bought out Will Barton, who you just traded a legitimate value for to get Monte Morris, who's just not a starting point guard in the league. I mean, they're Portland, but they're worse. I, I think that they are going to bring those guys back. I, I agree with you. I think they're they're a mix of Portland and a mix of Toronto, Stephen. I think that they're a team that's committing to the mid three, and that, that's what they're going to go with moving forward. I think um, now whether or not um, Kuzma signs there, as much as it's about market, I think it's about showing me the money. And Tommy Shepard, we've seen him do a Bradley Bill to his detriment, is definitely going to show the money. So is he give me I the think. Uh, listen. If he asked for it, <laughs> you're crazy, man. If he asked for it, I listen, I I don't put nothing past Tommy Shepard and keeping a team in the treadmill of we made the playoffs. 
You know what I mean? That's not a knock on Tommy, in my opinion, as much as it is just his philosophy. And they seem to double down on this, and this is what they do. So, no, I have... Mm-hmm. I, I suppose Washington did do the Rui Hachimoto. They got three seconds for him, so that wasn't exactly a deadline move, but we, sh- we can, like, that's the one move they did make. I guess good business for them. They weren't going to resign him anyway, get the few seconds, mm-hmm. but even so, yeah. they just... Nothing. I mean, no, this was this was pretty bad. This was pretty bad. And they got I was actually talking to my friend Carthen on Sports Ethos Wizards uh, just in a phone call. I was like, I don't understand the logic here. Like, you're not that good, you know. And um, Carthen had given out a point that, hey, they're trying to build a big three. I'm like, yes, but usually big threes are in finals contention, championship contention. You look at the Boston Celtics with KG, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen. You look at the Miami Heat, you know, with. LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. We look even at the Lakers that they try to do with LeBron, AD, and Russell Westbrook. Like those teams came with championship contention attached to whether or not they reached it. And there is no universe in this one or the next. And I'm a Marvel fan and love the multiverse that I believe that you're going to have a Christoph Porzingis, Bradley Beal, and Kyle Kuzma led team that's going to be anywhere near the finals. Like maybe the final four when they go to watch it during the regular season, but that's about it. Washington might have the worst big three in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, the worst big name three. Any team that has worst big, I, I, we're not going to go through every team right now, but name me a worst team that has a worst big three. Well, see, that's what I mean. It's a. It's, it's not even a worst big three. It's the worst big three that has the audacity to call themselves a big three. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of one, especially now that the Lakers have disbanded theirs. We're going back to duos now. Unless you want to call the Clippers with Kawhi, PG, and and, and Russ, and I wouldn't because now any third Russ... guy, I'm taking the Clippers big three over the Wizards big three. Exactly. So yeah, Maybe I agree. With you. Zubach. <laughs> I don't know how much better Christoph Porzingis is than him, but <sighs> I mean, hey, I'm not no comment here. <laughs> okay. Okay, so that was a little bit longer than we wanted, but you know the analysis is always on par when we have Corbin mm. come on. So... I love it. So go check out my article on sportsethos.com where I just gave you guys all my grades and my mini analysis on it. But if you want even more, go check that out. And yeah, I mean, definitely a pretty hectic trade deadline. I know we're getting this out a little later than I anticipated, but you know, it's the all-star break. Nothing's been going on recently. So now we could see how our takes are going to come to fruition with the final 20 games or so into the playoffs. So Corbin, anything you want to promote? Uh, as always, love linking up with you, bro. Like you said, you know, it was a little bit of a of a wait here, but with all the analysis you got, I hope it was worth it, y'all. Definitely a fun one. Aside from that, follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA, C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. Uh, definitely got Ethos Hornets. Going to be starting to rank that up, crank that up as we move forward with this season. Um, also, you know, a, a surprising fun project hopefully coming up here in the works. So that'll be something to stay tuned on. But once again, on Twitter at CorbinNBA. And again, thank you, Steve, for the opportunity. Love linking with you. Yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Birdrights Pod. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get this podcast. And I will talk to you guys a couple times next week. I hope with some, um, some different type of guests than what I usually do. So be on the lookout for that. And I will talk to you guys in a few days. Thanks for listening. <laughs>